I'm Carla Thracewalk, and these are just some thoughts on a Sunday. And what I do on these weekly updates is I share a few thoughts and also share where we're at in our efforts to help some Afghan Christians in their immigration journey. And I always start with sharing how I got involved in this because it's kind of the story. Um, so my friend, Margaret had been teaching um, some Bible studies via Zoom in Pakistan. So when I started teaching Bible studies through his connections, it was to a women's Bible study. And, but they were sitting out in this courtyard and it got really cold. And so uh, that didn't last a whole long, long time. But then I was teaching at some conferences in Pakistan via Zoom. And um, in October, so just about a year ago, uh, Mark asked me to cover for some um, Bible studies that he had with some Afghan Christians. And about the same time, Pakistan was really cracking down on um, the on foreign nationals that didn't have current visas to be in Pakistan. And that included the Afghans because Pakistan had basically cut off all, uh, they really weren't issuing visas for Afghans. And so we were trying to figure out how to make that all happen and make that all work. And so in the process of that, um, trying to find a way to get the visas, trying to find a way, figuring out how that whole situation, uh, you know, the whole dynamics of Pakistan and Afghanistan, they actually have to go back to Afghanistan to get new visas if their uh, visas, current visas aren't renewed. And in the middle of, of all that, uh, Mark asked his friend, Don Shire, if he could help us. Um, so Don stepped in and he agreed to help us any donations made to um, his ministry at donshireministries.org. If you select Race to Walk, then that will um, go to these, these people. So Don has had international ministry for years and he's used to getting money to... Um, countries like that, which actually is a little more difficult than you might think, uh, have something to share um, a little later about that. But anyway, so that is uh, what we've been doing. So as far as the title of the stream, An Unexpected Journey, if you are familiar with that phrase, it actually is chapter one in The Hobbit by J.R.L. Tolkien. In the fantasy genre, that's basically how the hero's journey goes, doesn't it? So you have somebody that is just an ordinary person that gets launched into this unexpected adventure. And um, that's the hero's journey. One of the very uh, first, not the first Bible study I did with them, but one of the early Bible studies I did with Afghan Christians. And we were talking about, um, I think it was Christmas. I don't even know what we were talking about, but I said, you know, the hero's journey, there's always trials. There's always a struggle that you have to get through. If you didn't have the struggle and the trial, then it wouldn't be hero's journey. It would just be a journey. And so this week, um, one of the things that were, was coming up, at least in my Twitter feed, was a lot of comments about the death of uh, Michael Gabon. He was played Dumbledore in the uh, Harry Potter movies. And um, I'm going to share this quote here. Um, this is a tweet by Eric Feigelding. And if you don't know who he is, I refer to him as Dr. Doom because he's basically the guy that uh, gave the initial heads up about like how bad COVID was going to be. It's a little depressing sometimes, but you know, he's 
he's always been right about what's coming up. So anyway, he shared this tweet and he had um, five of Dumbledore's, or not five, 10 of Dumbledore's best quotes. And I thought it'd be kind of fun to just start the stream with some of these. It's not, it's not uh, Tolkien, but it's kind of inspired by there's uh, Tolkien actually inspired a lot of the fantasy genre. And if you are aware of um, JK Rowling, you know, took inspiration from that as well as a lot of Christian themes, which is kind of ironic that so many Christians are so anti Harry Potter, you know, because they, they can't see past the, uh, the uh, labeling of something as magic. That's just kind of like a natural, in the Harry Potter series, it's more just kind of like a natural force, like electricity. So it's not like magic, like witchcraft, really. So um, I have some reviews on my bit on my channel about that. But anyway, so this is the first quote, and this is from Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, where uh, Dumbledore says, "Words are, in my not so humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic, capable of both inflicting in injury and remedying it." And so this is really um, reminiscent of Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, is it? The words of the, the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. I see a lot of biblical references in the Harry Potter series. This is another one from Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. It does not do to dwell on dreams and for kids to live. So, you know, that's a good reminder that our uh, journey that we're meant to be on is lived, right? It's not just an idea. It's not just a dream. We have to step out and do. So Harry Potter, this is from Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. People find it far easier to forgive others for being wrong than being right. This is absolutely true. Absolutely true. You can see it in so many of the hot button issues today. A lot of them, there's no question about what reality is, like for COVID and 2020 election, you know, but people don't want to admit that they were wrong about things. And so they won't. And I have a um, video on my channel called, are you willing to be wrong? And it's from, it's just basically off of an excerpt of um, uh, resurrecting Jesus by Dale Allison. And he has, there's two pages in that book that are, he's looking at the evidence for Jesus his life and specifically the resurrection. But um, he has two pages in there that are worth the price of the entire book. And he talks about how, if uh, this is in academia, if a professor teaches something and it's later proven to not be true, that the, the odds are they'll never back down and admit it because they've already gone out publicly saying that, uh, you know, claiming that a thing is true. And so they're, you know, they, they just, they won't admit otherwise. And the, the reality is, is it all, it's not just in, you know, regarding academics, all of us are like that because it's rooted in pride and all of us do have pride that we won't, we won't admit when we're wrong. And um, the thing is, if we won't admit when we're wrong, then we're basically shutting ourselves off from the Holy Spirit. And that is an unforgivable sin because the unforgivable sin is denying the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So anyway, let's go on. Is my belief that the truth is generally preferable to lies? That's true. It's true. If we're seeking after, you know, if we were seeking after God, we have to be seeking after truth. And sometimes it's easier not to know the truth. Sometimes um, there are some people who would rather like not know the truth or uh, because it's more comfortable, but knowing the truth is always better. It's always better. 
this is from Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. While we may come from different places and speak in different tongues, our hearts beat as one. Now, I have read all these, but I can't remember the scenario this is coming from. So if you've seen this or you've read it and you remember what it's from, put in the comments, like what he was speaking to in this. Was it one of the, I don't know. I, I can't, oops, sorry. Okay. Yeah, I, I can't remember the specific situation that that's from. Okay, numbing the pain for a while will make it worse when you finally feel it. This is true. This is from Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. And actually, I'm not going to get into this because this stream has already been long enough. But um, I was just literally over the past couple of days, what I've been like, actually I've been watching YouTube videos about is how our body stores I already knew this. Like I already knew that, you know, our body like holds trauma, but I've been watching different people about the, um, I think it's a facial system or something like that. And they said that you can literally like certain emotions, you can, there's like literal parts in your body that you can like actual places in your body. Like when you like, uh, do a deep massage of a particular area, it will be a particular emotion or a particular trauma. And so it's not just, Anyway, I'm not going to get into that. I might end another video about something else, but anyway, but yeah, that's true. It's true. We have to be able to face, we have to be able to face things. Okay. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Curiosity is not a sin, but we should exercise caution with our curiosity. Very true. I don't remember what that one is either. If you remember, let me know. Okay. All, uh, this is in Harry Potter, also in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fires. I sometimes find, and I'm sure you know the feeling, that I simply have too many thoughts and memories crammed into my mind. Oh, I feel like that sometimes too. This is when he's like putting his memories into the pensieve or something like that. So yeah. And I remember in the movie, it's like he's stirring it and pulling them out. You know, it's kind of dripping off of it. But, and this is also from Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. It matters not what someone is born, but what they grow to be. That is very, very true. And where are we at on this? I didn't number these. Um, this is in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. The truth, it is a beautiful and terrible thing. The truth, it is a beautiful and terrible thing and should therefore be treated with caution. Also true. Now, if you don't know this, the, the thing is, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone are the same book. But it was originally released in the UK and it was called Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. And the publishers did not think that Americans would get the reference and they didn't think it would sell as well. So they called it um, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and JK Rowling uh, regrets like not pushing back against that. But, you know, that was the first book in the series. She was a new author and uh, she just didn't feel like she had the clout to stick to our guns about that okay the title of the stream is an unexpected journey like what will yours be and i think that um we sometimes forget that we all have god gives us all an opportunity to step into his story right and we will have our own little side story within his great story. So I was talking to my friend Charlotte this week and um, she has a program called Relate that she is, she created 
and she and her daughter were uh, would go around to do conferences and things and they had a nonprofit and then they decided they were going to hand it off to somebody else and they did. And so now this is several years later, this curriculum that she, it's about healing from trauma. It's about what she, how she explains how she worked through her trauma. This is my friend that I've done multiple interviews on my channel with Charlotte Thomason. She wrote what kind of love is this finding God in the darkness. And um, she also published at a devotional last year called um, uh, Light in the Darkness, and it's 25 trauma devotionals. We're actually going to have a read through this advent with that. But anyway, Relate was this program that she had developed prior to writing the books, and she handed it off to some friends with another nonprofit. They're going to relaunch it, and Charlotte's basically rewriting it for them. So she gave it to them, and now she gets. After she gave it to them, she's rewriting it and doing kind of prepping it for them again. But she's talking through it with me because the, the program itself was a lot longer to begin with. And she wanted to make sure that it all flowed. And she was telling me about some of the experiences. And I was just like, you know what, Charlotte, it's just so amazing that you've, you've been part of so many people's stories that through this program already. And Sometimes I think we have our focus, not sometimes, I think most of the time we have our, our focus on the wrong things. And we think that, you know, I'm just, it doesn't matter like how big your house is, unless if that house has been giving shelter to people, it doesn't matter about how many vacations you've been on. It doesn't matter how many cars you have, or I don't know, whatever, however people keep score. It matters. What matters is the people that you impact and She's impacted so many people with that program, people who were bound up in trauma that have had their freedom. They're like, um, you know, in the, I can't remember which book this is in, but when the, uh, in the Lord of the Rings series where they get trapped in the web of Shiloh, you know, they're all tied up like that. That's kind of like, where she comes in and helps release them because that's how we get when we're bound up in our um, stuff and we have to have some help to come out of it. So uh, that is, that's part of her journey, but we all have our own journey. We all get to choose um, what that journey is going to be like. When I was growing up, I have a picture of it here. There were these choose your own adventure books and there are a whole series of them, different scenarios. And so you would go and you would, I guess it was kind of like, you know, like it was what we had before we had video games, you know, where you choose different options and kind of make your own adventure. We had books that you would go and just like, okay, this is what happened. Like which, which path are you going to choose? And so you would come to a different end based on those choices. And that's really the way life is. We, make a choice. And, um, the past few weeks I've been talking about how opportunities can be in front of us all the time. We miss those opportunities to, um, you know, be part of God's story. We choose to be part of his will or do our own thing. We make a choice every day. Like C.S. Lewis says to be more of a heavenly creature, more of a hellish creature. We choose those things. And so, um, God's end is determined, but 
we have a choice about what our end will be and what our story will be like. And so when you get to the end, this is what I think heaven's going to be like, or, you know, the new heaven and the earth. I think we're going to spend a lot of time in the beginning, just seeing how it all played out. And we're going to see, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll be in the middle of a situation and you're like, what just happened? You knew something just happened, but you don't know what it was. I think it's going to be like that. And so we're going to see how all of these things fit together. And when we have, um, there are going to be some people that are going to be part of a lot of people's stories. They're going to be part of this whole working in a lot of different ways and the impact that we have. But when, when we just focus on our own stuff, it's like the threat of our life, that impact of our life, it shuts off because we're only, we've only focused on ourselves and we haven't invested in other people. And so when you get to the retelling of the story, like this is like, that's what the, you know, the epics were. They were heroes, the sagas of heroes. You know, they're not going to be there. You're not going to be part of it. Like if, if we don't choose to invest in other people's lives and you're not, you're not going to be part of that eternal saga, right? You're not going to be part of this, this great recounting of um, things that were done. Like the book of numbers, you know, I always thought numbers were so boring and I was talking to somebody on Twitter and they were like, yeah, I just love numbers. And I'm like, that's a little weird. But then I realized, well, that's really actually kind of cool because it's God giving credit to all these ordinary people for this great work. And then I was able to see, okay, well, that's God saying, you know, there is no small effort in God's work. All, all people, all, all pe anybody can make a difference. And if you give what you have, God's go go going to honor it. And he shows us that in numbers, like just people doing, doing their own thing. You know, they were just did what they were good at and God used it for as part of the great work. And it's, it's recorded in the Bible, which is like totally awesome. Right. So anyway, um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about today, so I'm not going to talk, usually I give a little bit more information about what's going on in Afghanistan, just because there's a lot of um, propaganda and a lot of effort to um, make the Taliban seem like, you know, there are partners in counterterrorism, which is a complete joke because the counter, the, the Taliban are terrorists and thugs. So um I usually do that. I'm not going to do that this time because there was something that came up. So there's been this huge drama in Texas, all these people on Twitter making a big deal about surge at the border. And so I posted something on my community tab and I've said this before, if, if there are actually open borders, please send me an email at contact .org and tell me where they are and how it works because I need people that need that, need that. So let me know, but it's not true. And so I posted um, something on my community tab and I said, the border is trending on Twitter right now because a group of migrants, including tr children had to be rescued from Greg Abbott's razor wire death traps at Eagle Pass are a bunch of ignorant people yapping about open borders. Just a reminder, anyone saying, talking about open borders has no idea what they're talking about. This is true because people just use it for to amp up the propaganda. So then I get, I get some replies to this. And before I, I say this, so my, my channel is, I do Bible studies and 
normally videos about books. This is what I normally do. I'm doing um, these updates because quite frankly, uh, helping with this has uh, the Afghans have, it's really, um, I don't have a lot of extra time and as I don't have extra time. And so I haven't had a chance to do um, a whole lot of book reviews and other Bible studies other than what I'm doing with them. So, um, but I would hope I have a lot of Bible studies out there and I would hope that if people are following a Christian uh, YouTube channel, that they would be reading the Bible and know what it says and actually care about seeking after God and doing his will. Right. That would be my hope. So this is James one uh, chapter one, verse 27, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God. The father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So you care for people in need who don't have anyone else to look out for them. Right. And don't let the world corrupt you, corrupt you. So this means that you don't give in, came into pressure to conform. So these are the responses I got. Okay. So I, I know, let me show this, this tweet. So this is a, a video of the U.S. border agents cutting out, cutting the razor wire that Abbott had ordered to be installed at the border in order to rescue a group of migrants and children. Okay, that's aside. So this is what the comment, were they migrating into the States legally? So here's the thing, I've said this multiple times and I hope that if anyone's watched any of my updates that they would be aware of this. Asylum is a legal immigration path. You cannot claim asylum until you're standing in US soil. Now, I thought when I first got involved in this, I was thinking, cause I too was listening to all this propaganda not realizing it was propaganda about open borders like oh you just have to get to the border and then they would be able to get here and so we were thinking okay well maybe the best thing would be to fly them to mexico and have them come to the border and claim asylum the attorney for uh so we have we have one two families that has their sister is a u.s citizen who has filed family reunification for visas for them in 2015. They have SIV applications in that are sitting there stalled. And then they also have humanitarian parole visas uh, applications in that are, have just been sitting there, no response. Their attorney told them, their attorney told them that if they do that, then to go to the board and say that you have an attorney. And that was a recommendation. So I was sending emails to all these different um, agencies related to immigration and um there was one lady locally, um, Houston Walk uh, Welcomes Refugees, that there was director there. And she said, she replied, because I was saying, it looks to me like that's the best solution is just to come and claim, uh, like claim an emergency hearing or request an emergency he hearing or request asylum. And she replied and said, hey, well, let's do a meeting. And she was explaining, yeah, that's basically, that's not a good option. It's just she said, I've seen so many people that have gone to the border and are, um, you know, have been told they have help. And, you know, they're just, even if they get across the border, they're just left in limbo because they get no help until their asylum case is approved. I mean, they may get like, if they get parole, uh, there's a humanitarian parole, not the humanitarian parole that Afghans can apply from where they're at. It's like, it's a different, it's different, but, um, She's like, no, no, don't do that. I'm like, okay. So again, but there's all this propaganda in the media about, because there's people playing politics with other people's lives, you know, 
defenseless migrants' lives at the border, saying there's open borders and just playing games. And she's like, no, you, you don't do that. So when they said this, I'm, my thought was originally that, okay, maybe this person doesn't know, like I didn't know. Right. And so this is a, um, an article from human rights first. And it talks about how the U S is limiting access to asylum. So this is in multiple ways. There have been stories about the U S border patrol actually refusing to accept asylum. Um, I can't remember when this was, I think it was the beginning of January. I think it was, they, uh, they implemented this CB one app, which they have to make requests for an appointment. They can't just go to the, to the border and request asylum. They have to wait for an appointment with the app. And so once they do that, then they can request asylum. Now back in, I can't remember, I think it was sometime in March. Um, I did an update where I was talking about one of our, um, a relative of one of our families had gone to Brazil on the humanitarian parole there and then went up through South America. And I said, you need to talk to an attorney before you go to, it's really important that you talk to an attorney before you present for asylum. So I don't hear from him. And then two months later, it turns out that he had, I don't know if he had paid somebody to take him across the border or what, but they had crossed the border illegally and then turned themselves in to the border patrol who took their passports. So they had, he doesn't have a passport now. I don't know what the deal is. And then he was in prison in, in, uh, Mississippi, a core civic, uh, prison for two months. And that is private. So people are profiting off of that. And then he was released, has parole. Now he's, um, finally I connected him and he, when he called me, he was in, or he didn't call me, sent me a message on WhatsApp, but he was in New York. I'm like, how did you get there? What is going on? So anyway, he, uh, yeah, that's what happens. And he was a single, he was a single guy, you know? And so it is really, it's a mess. It's an entire mess. So anyway, this article explains about how slow it is. And when Trump was just not processing, not allowing anybody to come in, they didn't go back. They were waiting to, um, for the border to open. So all these, all these cases just kept piling up and piling up. And so then, um, this is another story about just trying to be able to claim asylum. And we put up blocks to that. So here's the thing, poor economic prospects or that you can't find a job in your home country is not a, a, a basis for asylum. So if that's all somebody has, they're going to get sent back anyway. It's not border patrol's responsibility to decide whether or not they qualify for asylum that once they claim asylum, then they have to put their, their case goes to the immigration court. And it takes years to get to that. This is another article, how Trump, the Trump administration broke the immigration court system. Okay. So we were a mess before, and then Trump made it way worse and slashed uh, funding for organizations that work in our immigration system. So this is part of my reply 
to this person. And I said, you know, after they surrender, sometimes they're held in detention centers for months, like the relative of one of my African Christians, detention centers owned by CoreCivic, a private company profiting off of it. So see my February 26th update for part one of the story of the Afghan Christian jailed. This is at the 25 minute mark. There's part two in my March 5th update. And this is um, 18 minutes at the 18 minute mark. And then once they surrender, and apply for asylum, the courts have an, have a backlog of over a million cases. So it's already going to be a long drawn up process once they're able to claim asylum, right? So then in there's a recent episode of the Afghanistan Project podcast with Jill Marie Busi. She explains just how you know, how insane our immigration system is in the challenges immigrants face. Okay. So, and then, you know, I ended my response with, but even if people were crossing illegally, that is no excuse for trapping and killing them with saw blades and razor wire. Like there were some dangerous animal like Greg Abbott is doing. And this is Deuteronomy 27, 18. Cursed is he who distorts the justice, do an alien orphan and widow and all the people shall say amen. So this is from the Bible, right? So, then it goes on. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe she just says no. Maybe she's clueless. No, no. She's just, person is just like xenophobe. Doesn't think, I mean, this is what's crazy to me about being, there's a number of reasons that this is just completely ridiculous. First of all, in the United States, unless if you're Native American, we're all immigrants, all of us. So how would you have liked to have had to go through what people coming now would have have to go through? Would you have made it? Odds are no. No, you would not have. So this is the second person that responded to the quote. And here's the thing about YouTube. So as a creator, there's an app called YouTube Studio, and you get notifications of first comments, first new comments. You don't get notifications of responses. So I didn't see this some of these until a lot later, unless if I'm on YouTube and happen to see the notification come through, which is not that usual. So this person here had another comment. I don't know if she edited this one or if she, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what she did. If she edited this one or if it was that she deleted her first comment and then did a new one and edited it because in her first comment, she gave the bogus claim like, oh, these fentanyl people, it's, you know, these immigrants are bringing fentanyl over the border. It's not true. But anyway, she said, um, because the guy was like saying, oh, it's 4,000 people. And this is every day. No, it wasn't 4,000 people every day. It was not 4,000 people every day. That was how many people were in the, the processing center. And it takes more than one day to process them. And she said, four people is overwhelming, whether it's one or two days. It's unfair to accuse officials of grandstanding when they are scrambling for solutions through the immediate crisis. They've been elected by citizens to protect citizens, and they're being criticized for their effort. Border security is a very important responsibility of our government. Trying to have an orderly legal process isn't denying justice. It's preventing lawlessness. Okay, to this I say... Um, so first, again, the comment that she either deleted, she either edited it out or deleted the comment. This is just a reminder. This is how people like this role, you know, they just don't even stand by their own words. Again, they don't like to be proven wrong. So the 
this is an article, the vast majority of fentanyl users enter the U.S. through legal ports of entry. Certainly in 2022, 90% of fentanyl seizures occurred at a legal port of entry or interior vehicle checkpoints. In 2022, Border Patrol agents who were not at vehicle checkpoints accounted for just 9% of fentanyl seizures. Since October 2022, the start of 2023 fiscal year, 93% of fentanyl seizures occurred at legal points of entry. Mexican cartels intensively hire U.S. citizens to smuggle drugs across the border because U.S. citizens generate less suspicion and are often subject to less inspection scrutiny than foreign nationals. In 2022, 88% of fentanyl trafficking convictions were of U.S. citizens. It's not even an argument. And, oh, by the way, this was just from yesterday, Fox exclusive, 16 arrested in Tulsa for involvement with the Mexican cartel. Do any of these people look like they are from Latin America? No, they do not. They look like homegrown people. Won't make any other comments on that. So it's just a bunch of bogus arguments. Secondly, if somebody is doing even just at 4,000, uh, 4,000 people a day coming across the border. In Ellis Island, we used to process 5,000 people a day on average at one point. The busiest day at Ellis Island was 11,797 people. So if you are processing 2,000, 3,000 people a day, I don't call that a crisis. I call that slacking. We are in the 21st century. We have all this technology that they've not had at the turn of the last century. And yes, yes, there were uh, dangerous people a century ago as well. Go and read about all the revolutions that were happening during that time. So yes, there were bad people then, then too that they had to be careful of. We still got things done. So again, there is no excuse for the non-progress that is going on at the border, other than people just like to use it as a political wedge. Okay, this is another uh, quote, a person that's going down like, oh yeah, there's all these people at the border. And so here's the deal. So people have come from thousands, you know, thousands of miles to come to the border. They're sitting there waiting at the border. Again, like I said, they have to have this, make an appointment through the CB1 app. Limited number of appointments. So they're sitting in these refugee camps at the border waiting for that. And so you ask why people will cross illegally. You know, sometimes it doesn't seem like they're going to be moving at all. And so that is why they do. But there are just uh, now Mexico has said that they're going to start deporting people that are at these refugee camps. So you tell me if you have come thousands of miles from your home country that you left because things were so bad that taking that very dangerous truck up through South America and through the Daring Gap, that you would risk your life to do that. And now you're going to be, you're sitting here right at the border and you're going to be deported. What would you do? Is it any surprise that people are now starting to try to go across the border? No, it's not. It's not surprising. I mean, these are human beings that are in desperate situations. And here's the thing. I go back to that Afghan Christian that had crossed the border that was had been in the detention center. 
he, um, I was concerned because the, he sent me this notice, this parole form and the address, I looked it up and it was a, uh, address for a business. It made me worry that he had been caught up in human trafficking. So I actually called the FBI human trafficking hotline and he, I said, can you go and check on him? Make sure he's okay. And they said, no, he can't, you can't check on him unless if you can't, we can't go check on him unless if he actually tell explicitly tells you that he's in danger and needs help. But anyway, he said, well, what was his goal? I said, he, he's, he was trying to escape the Taliban. His goal was not dead. That was his goal, not dead. And so that's true of a lot of people, like people who are like Honduras, where the, the country is overrun by the gangs. I mean, they would like people just like to be able to live without the threat of death, not dead. That's the motivation. So I understand not being aware of the um, the mess that is immigration. I understand not knowing all the ins and outs of immigration, but what I don't understand is not having any empathy for a fellow human being. That I do not understand. And I especially don't understand it when people call themselves Christians. So here's the thing. I think it's important to understand the, the fact that whatever our policies are really aren't necessarily with, it's not what's driving the, the waves of immigration. I'm going to share this story because this is actually, this is relevant. So my undergraduate degree was in um, marketing we took, um, some of my classes were in information systems and qualitative analysis, you know, for market research. And one of my professors in my undergraduate uh, program was a, um, he would go out and he would do area studies for businesses. So they would want to go and enter different um, countries and he would do market analysis for them. One of the, his clients that he worked for was, I can't remember if it was the U.S. Forestry Service or if it was Oregon or what, but he, they had these, um, it was the Forestry Service anyway, and they want, they hired him to develop a model to do, to project what different um, timber lots would sell for. So the forestry service would uh, contract a 